welcome to the Future Construct Podcast Special Geo Week 2022 Edition. So we're live on the expo floor. And this morning, I was uh, fortunate enough to see a, or actually be part of, uh, a great panel with Todd Ugel here from Virginia Tech. And, uh, you know, you and your team shared an amazing project. Uh, but first, let's take a moment and just sort of introduce yourself and, you know, how did you land in this crazy industry and how did you land at Virginia Tech? Sure. Thanks, Amy. So I've worked at Virginia Tech for... 22 years now, um, and I guess the story really is more about uh, how I ended up doing the sorts of things we're doing now with VR and AR um, than how I got to Virginia Tech. Um, I did my doctoral research in using virtual reality in education settings um, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, and um, have always wanted to continue doing research in that area. And in the projects that I've worked on with colleagues over the years, we always found that students would like to get more experience working on those sorts of projects. And our teams of faculty needed the help doing those sorts of projects. Because typically it would end up being, you know, the art faculty member would be doing all the artwork and the computer science faculty member might be doing all the computer science work. When in fact there are lots of students that would like to have opportunities to apply what they've learned in the classroom or go on a deeper learning journey than they get to in the classroom in these sorts of technologies. Yeah, and, and so, I mean, this project, is to me, it's it's one of the perfect use cases, right? For for you know this hype cycle of the metaverse, if you will, but you know leveraging um, you know AR and VR, uh, and in this case, really both. You were able to do kind of you know cross functionality. Um, but but tell us a little bit about the project, and and what I also really enjoyed about um, your discussion today was the technical aspect and you know some of the challenges that you found and and then how you overcame them using technology right so the case study we talked about this morning is the Vauqua experience and Vauqua is a, a hilltop was which was once a small rural village in northeastern France that like many was destroyed during World War one um, it's a unique site in that it has um, a large series of very deep craters that are left from explosions that were set off in mines. And it has trenches on the surface still. So there's lots of examples of what World War I fighting was like all in one place. And we really wanted to represent what this place is like today and what it was like to be there a hundred plus years ago using immersive experiences. And the challenge is it's a very big site. Uh, there's somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to 30 kilometers of tunnels that are still in various states of accessibility today. There's a large surface feature to be seen and various points of interest on the surface. And so we wanted to make a really accurate representation, but it's a lot of data. So we went over and worked with some partner archeologists from France to do photogrammetry and laser scanning and some 360 video um, and some spatial audio. 
to try to put together a virtual experience for the place. But um, when you're talking, uh, our, our main point cloud is 280 something gigabytes, and it's not even, it's probably a third of the site. Um, you can quickly see how when we started this project uh, six years ago, it's very difficult to try to portray that sort of thing in immersive virtual reality. So um, we worked with some computer science specialists and artists and historians to use some technical techniques to allow us to tell a story of a large place using a small amount of space. Um, can I pause and yep. you can edit this in post? Yeah, awesome. yeah, absolutely. How much do you want me to get into the technical bits? Um, I think I can know, keep rambling. Uh, or? No, I think I think the, the I think the high points are really important, and I and I but, and I like the fact that you're weaving in the storytelling piece of it. Mm -hmm. So I think I think we're we're good, and we have time. Keep going a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, you can always edit out the parts that get boring. <laughs> so okay. I find it all fascinating. Okay. I'll talk a little bit about the redirected walking yeah, and the yeah. physical exhibit and the haptics and stuff. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So in order to try to share this narrative um, in an immersive experience, but in a limited physical footprint, because we were designing initially for a museum exhibit, uh, we used a technique called redirected walking, which um, allows you to make a person think they're walking further than they are in real space. So our exhibit is about 15 feet long and it's a straight line. But the virtual experience we set up to be more of a curving, a zigzag type uh, course. And we give you some prompts, some visuals to look at when you get to turning points in the tunnels. And as you turn your head, we accelerate the rotation of the virtual world based on your turning. So we prompt you, we give you things to look at, and as you turn your head, the world turns around you. Very, very slowly. It's only about a 5% um, acceleration. We played with that a little bit and had to dial it into where we didn't make anyone feel uncomfortable. Um, but what then happens is you just walk back and forth, but you think you've we actually think you've walked a longer yeah. course. Yeah. Yeah. And we wanted people to um, be able to feel what they were seeing because so many people, when you put them in a very rich virtual environment, want to reach out and touch the things they're seeing, even though they know they're not there. They still do. So we uh, made a model of a lantern that was a commonly used handheld lantern there based on photographs of the real one. Um, and it's you see it in virtual reality, and it's your light source. It's a candle. Um, but then a person who works with us in the library that makes props for exhibits built a prop physical one and we placed a tracker on it. We used the HTC Vive system for this at the time. So that when you reach out and see that sitting there on the table, you pick it up and it's really there and it's, it feels just like what you're seeing. And you reach out and you touch the actual walls of the tunnels as you walk through. There are communication wires that were used to signal down along different lengths of tunnel and they're there and you can reach out and touch those and trace those as you walk. There's a sculpture of a face of a, a very disliked German officer that the soldiers carved into one of the walls. That's there. You see it. You can reach out and feel it. And it lines up with what you're seeing. 
And there's other important objects to the narrative that are there as well that you can actually reach out and touch. Um, so you have a very rich visual experience, a very rich auditory experience, and this this physical sensation through the haptics. Um, and uh, that was very successful, very well received, but from then we needed to make something that was more accessible, especially for schools. So initially they would use, um, in some of the schools in our area, just the VR experience without the physical props. Um, but even that became impractical with COVID because the classes couldn't go down to the computer lab and have 20 kids share a headset. So we built a uh, WebXR social VR version of it, which the kids can use on a Chromebook. Um, and what's wonderful about it is it actually let us expand the experience because we weren't constrained to a physical exhibit. Um, and they can go in in groups with their teacher, they can ask questions, they can talk amongst themselves, and so on and so forth. I think engagement too as well with that and, and you know remember you were talking about this morning you know there was a storytelling piece where it's like well, what happened to the you know we have this underground story uh, but then what happened to the village and what happened to the people and I think it's a it's a way for us to experience history and I'm gonna I'm gonna botch the Steve Jobs quote um, where it's like you, you can't look forward you can only look back but you know, I think there is something really important about reconstructing some of these um, historical sites and um, you know historical cultures so that we can inform the future. Right. Um, but I do want to come back and talk a little bit more about where you are today and some of the work you've continued to do because this has been a long uh, project and it's right. still going. Uh, but we're going to take a little moment to hear from our sponsors and we will be back momentarily live from Geo Week 2022. live from GOE with Todd Ogle from Virginia Tech. So, uh, you know, you gave us a little bit of a snapshot, uh, snapshot. I mean, it was an amazing project. Um, and, and one thing that, that I was really impressed with is this, the looking at open source and, and leveraging open source wherever you can and why that's so important. So obviously I'm bullish on it, but I'd love to hear, you know, your perspective actually hands-on. Yeah, thank you. We've done a lot of work using, um, commercial proprietary tools and um, when it comes to the web we attempt it to the best of our ability to use open source tools so that uh, we have a uh, an accessibility factor but b the ability to um, customize and uh, persist with the project even if that um, organization that makes that um, software were to go away so we're very, very excited about WebXR and different tools for building things in that. What we're using for this project and for a few others, in fact, is Mozilla Hubs. Uh, Mozilla Hubs is built on the WebXR standard, so it's HTML5, it's CSS, it's a few JavaScript libraries, and it's made by the Mozilla Foundation, but if they choose to stop developing it, the source code is out there on GitHub and anyone can continue to use it and as I mentioned we can customize it for different needs. Um, we're working with an archaeologist in Belgium who 
would like to be able to provide tours of the sites that they work with because um, archaeology depends a lot on outreach and um, so we're, we're looking at making some custom tools for that so that uh, a person can manage a group, for example. Um, kind of have a magical one, two, three eyes on me button. Yeah, yeah. Um, with your elementary school. So. <laughs> I think we need that for everyone. I need that with my team on Zoom. Yeah. So come on, pay attention. Sure. <laughs> right. And so then you had uh, you know two former students who are now out there in the wild working mm-hmm. um, in the industry. And you're working with uh, Unreal 5, mm-hmm. and you know a lot of tools. So you sort of came above ground. Mm-hmm. You know some of the renderings that you shared, um, you know, in the, in, of the village itself mm-hmm. really looked fantastic. But it was not an easy process. Right. right. Yeah, we um, initially started out telling the story of the lived experience of the soldiers who were primarily living and fighting in these tunnels for the four years of the war. But we wanted to talk a little bit about the village that existed for a thousand years before it was destroyed in World War I. And what happened to the people there? Where did they go? Were they able to come back? Um, the answer of whether they were able to rebuild the village is no, obviously. Um, there is a Vauquois today, but it's just mm-hmm. a few houses and it's in a different place. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So, um, we had to work from historical records because there was no... Uh, we couldn't find anything about actual elevations at that time. We have elevations today, but it's vastly different from what it was. So we, we've done some map work, um, some period um, photographs, luckily, and paintings that give us a sense of uh, what the place looked like, what some of the elevations looked like. And so, you know, we're basically replacing what is lost in the Unreal Engine and basing that on these historical uh, photographs and paintings and maps and then looking at current photos of some of the landscape and plants and some of the villages themselves because there are houses and buildings that survived the war in the area and so they are examples of what sort of textures and things you work with. So using the Quixel Megascans library of textures and materials, and this working with historians, we're able to put together um, as accurate a historical representation as we're able to of the buildings that were there. Uh, and it's really, it's really quite exciting uh, because you know this happens quite a bit on different projects, but it's not been done for this place yet that I'm aware of, you know, putting back something that's long gone. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, so how does, how does one, uh, for anyone who's listening, uh, is it accessible? Uh, can someone get a license to it? I mean, how, how mm-hmm. do people access it? So that's another big benefit of our WebXR uh, aspect of it is, yes, it's just a website. Um, if you want to take a look at that, you can go to historyviz.com. Okay. That's our Visualizing History website. It's basically our portfolio of this kind of work. Um, and just peruse the site and you'll find the Vauqua project in there. And you can jump in the virtual reality yourself in a web browser, in a Oculus Quest on your phone, on a tablet. Um, and uh, there are videos about other aspects of the project mm-hmm. out there as well that tell you a little bit more about it. Um, we had a an executable of a 
Unity version of it up for a while for download, but it's just not, it's hard to keep up with. Right, um, right. And it's hard to know whether a person's hardware is going to be able to run it without too much trouble. Right. So again, another great reason to do things on to the do, web. And also do, yeah, do things right through the web. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That makes sense. And have you had a chance to wander around much or see some other uh, panels and, and talks at the, uh, yeah. the event here? Yes, absolutely. We've been uh, talking to a lot of folks who do different aspects of what we do and um, looking at a lot of new tools and some new software. You know, anytime you can find a way to speed up your workflow while maintaining fidelity is a big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, very exciting. Yeah, and your, one of your students was, was talking about the different levels of, of decimation. Was mm -hmm. that, I mean, because this, this project was sort of long before some of these optimization tools were even out there. Right. And it looks like you're revisiting now yeah. that the tools are available, but mm -hmm. are, are there even standards yet um, that tell you, you know, for for web, you know, it needs to be this size or this right. number of this polygon count, or for VR, it needs to be this. Are there some standards around that yet, or are you just sort of guessing? Um, I can tell you in terms of using uh, Mozilla Hubs, what's fantastic about it is that when you go to, um, when you use their editor, which is sort of like working in the Unity or Unreal editor, um, and you go to, you're not compiling an executable, but when you go to push your project up to the web, it will give you a performance report and tell you about how many triangles you have, how many individual textures you have, and how big they are, lights and things like that. And it gives you feedback as to um, you know, where you are on their estimation of what's gonna maintain performance, even on mobile. Wow, um, that's great. I don't have those memorized, but we yeah. mostly go, oh, it's red. We need to go back and get rid of yeah. a few more triangles. It's <laughs> not good. Yeah, I'll yeah, tell yeah. you, honestly, it's um, mostly for this web stuff, it comes down to the textures yeah. and the materials. It seems that the, uh, the loads of those are what cause performance hits. Yeah. So, yeah. And lights. Lights well, are very expensive. Yeah, the shaders. And lights, yeah, you yeah. start to get really granular. Um, so, so just in, in looking around, and I've been also very impressed with the level of level of kind of collaboration and, and different different companies with different tool sets coming together to solve some of these bigger problems. I think that's been one of the benefits of the event here. Um, but you know, Geo Week 2022. What are some of your favorite things, or even just one favorite mm. thing? Um, I'm excited about a lot of the new tools I've seen. I've um, heard about some software uh, for this uh, decimation and retabologizing process, which is so key to everything we do that I'm interested in checking out. Um, and just getting to meet some of the folks who I've, you know, either talked to on the phone or, you know, collaborate with or bought things from is, is a lot of fun. Um, so, and I, you know, seeing the Boston Dynamics dog running around with a oh, laser yeah. scanner on it and stuff. Yeah, I love that. Really cool, but scary <laughs> at the same time. So It's all coming. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of the future and our future pet robotic dogs, which is probably the only dog I can have because I travel too much, <laughs> um, is the question that I ask everyone. Mm -hmm. So if you can project yourself 20, 25 years into the future, you can have any product or gadget that just makes you personally happy or makes your life better in some way, what would it be and what would it do? So there's a film that I'm struggling to remember the name of. It's a science fiction film. But these astronauts 
they travel to some planet to go look for some folks that you know went off the radio or something and they send out some drones and they do a bunch of imaging and it's uh, it's so tantalizingly close so I would hope that in 25 years what we could have is something that is a very durable small um, so thus cheap if you break it um, autonomous flying critter that can do the combination of photogrammetry and laser scanning that is what is happening now. Um, because what we're seeing, even with um, apps on your phone, is that um, there's a recognition, and a lot of people are integrating it in their tools now, that to get the good color data that a lot of us want, um, you need the photogrammetry mapped to the laser point cloud as well. So. Um, that's not as fun as like a flying toaster or something, but um, as far as like making me practically happy, that would be so great. Um, I don't plan to spend all of my time in tunnels, so it could be used for other things as well, but being able to just send them out there. And I know there's drone work going on, you know, in tunnels already, but yeah. it's still bigger drones that are really expensive when you smash them into things and oh yeah take, we've, takes seen, an we've seen some of them here on the there's one right over there yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah there are some there are very very big heavy duty drones here so yeah so yeah i think that there's some there's some pretty good toys i think you're going to get your wish i i like the idea of having something very similar like instead of an hmd mm. i want to call it an fmd so it's a follow me drone yeah and it basically just you know it's like my recon yeah. If I need to know what's around the corner right. or like if you're an athlete or you're skiing right. and you want to know where the trees or the moguls mm -hmm. are. So I think I think you're onto something and I think you also probably have a talent pool who could build it for you way before twenty years with some of your brilliant students. Well, yeah, I think I think we very well could. That's the exciting thing about being at a research university. So yeah, just poke the right people and they invent stuff. Excellent. Well, you're doing an amazing job of kind of bridging, you know, education and some of the, you know, specialties of Virginia Tech and enterprise together. And it's um, it's a long road, but, you know, we appreciate all your efforts because you're doing some amazing, amazing work. So thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all of it. Thank you. I enjoyed it.